Coming up, Matt talks about rodeo. I talk about on the east side of the world. Very disappointment assignment desk. Masterclass, we are going to ask you to be quite narrow and very specific. SAT, we do something about the rain. We've got a very good question. Pledge cues. I mean, you should listen to this one if you're not going to listen to anything else. And then in cross country, we sports photography is just going down the drain, really. Episode 79 is next. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Konnichiwa. This is Ryu Vogel. Shalom. This is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fashioner, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten, and I know you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way. Since this is a 100% user-funded audiovisual entertainment, please go to patreon.com slash blfs, and that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash blfs, and show us how much you love us, because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. News, Matt Cohen. News, here at News, both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous quarter and we talk about ourselves <laughs> That's a long because day. we don't have anything else to talk about we weren't planning on having a summer vacation but we inadvertently did basically took july off and well this is end of august so we basically took august off as well saying that i probably should start out because i was uh, so my, my my good and the bad my good was that i went to japan to do a project on high school soccer in okinawa in Okinawa, for those who you don't know where it is, it is in the south of Japan. I did a similar project two years ago, and that was in Hokkaido, which is the northern part of Japan, northern big island of Japan. And I shot football, soccer, over there in the snow. And it has been my plan all along, if that uh, Hokkaido thing went well, I would be happy and very eager to do the opposite version of it, which is the um, the summer version in the southern part of Japan. So needlessly say, it was hot, but it wasn't as hot as I thought it was going to be. It's an island and I don't know, like southern islands in, in countries that are warm, just a lot of hurricanes and typhoons and things like that. So half of the time when uh, that I was there, I got rained on in Dallas the bad because I was kind of picturing this to be a very hot weather thing. But the good was that it was really interesting doing this project. It always is when you do a, like a long-term project like this. I did for about a little bit less than two weeks. You get to know the people, you get to know the culture, and you obviously get to shoot the sports. Still, I think it's to be a good storyteller through sports is not an easy thing. And what I always really try to do is try to do the stories only with the photos and without the caption. And some of the stuff I think I did better than I did in uh, Hokkaido. But some of the stuff I was planning to do and I couldn't do and, and 
it, it is really frustrating because you want to do the best you want to do, but it's not a、um, fashion shoot or a studio shoot where you can control a lot of things. Some things you're just out of control. And there's one thing that I really wanted to do, and it didn't work out, and I'm really just pissed off about it. So maybe in the future, I will go back again and try to get that part done. But it was an exciting two weeks. I really enjoyed it. And for those, those of you、um, who want to do this kind of project, it is a very, very easy thing to do. You just have to pick a subject. And you don't have to travel as far as I did. You don't have to go halfway across the world to do it. You can just choose something locally, including、um, involving sports, and pick an interesting story that involves that particular sport or that, I guess, that person, and do it. The advantage of actually doing this、uh, somewhere that is close to your home is you can do a lot, lot longer thing that I did、uh, because I was only there for two weeks. You could do an entire year on this subject. So, saying that, it was a.、Uh, Interesting, interesting, interesting August. Oh, and I guess the other bad was that I shot the, I'll make it very quick. I shot the、um, World Championship of Climbing. It was the most anticlimactic thing ever because this was supposed to be a very big battle for a spot in the Olympics. And it turned out to be the most lame thing ever. So that's the bad because sometimes it's just bad, you know, wasn't fun at all. So that was my. News. And you? Yeah, I th- just going back to your Japan pictures, I want to expand on a couple of things. I thought the, the pictures this time were significantly、Thank、better、you. than the ones before. And I don't know if that's because you had、uh, more to work with or whatever, not being there. I guess it's very difficult for me to figure it out, but I, I like these pictures a lot better. But going back to the idea of like a long term kind of project, I think it's really important to have these. Like I have three, four, five long term projects kind of. Running in my head, and they're all very open ended. None of them are on a clock or anything like that. And I think it's important because as you're thinking about these things, it shapes how you look at what you're shooting. So you're trying to figure out does what I'm shooting now fit into one of these projects that are in my head? Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. And I think that that can kind of get you thinking about what you're shooting instead of just going out there to shoot. I, I really, the more I do this and the more I teach, I think that turning on your brain while you're shooting, not just the part that controls the camera, but that controls what you're doing and where you are, all of that is the number one thing. If you can start your shoot by thinking, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on these couple projects, does what I'm shooting today fit into that? I think that's a really good way to get into what you're shooting. And I'll, I'll give you a good example of this. A year ago, I was shooting an amateur rodeo, and this was the Gilroy Rodeo where I've done two workshops now. I didn't know anything about what the plan was for the rodeo, and they did a, like a Mexican rodeo, kind of like a little. Rodeo? <laughs> thanks, Rob. No, they did like an exhibition of the Mexican events, and one of them is called Escarmuza. And this is a team of young women who get dressed up in very, very elaborate embroidered costumes. And they have these huge sombreros and they ride in a really kind of glamorous way, side saddle. And the moves that these horses do are really amazing. And the, I went and did a Google search for. What this was, and you know, maybe I could shoot this somewhere. And I got really busy and I just didn't do it. And I eventually I found a link to 
Vogue magazine had sent somebody out to shoot this and they did a really incredible job. So this year I saw that they were coming back to the same rodeo and so I was doing a workshop there and I offered my students the chance just for a little bonus session to come out early on Sunday morning and shoot the escarmuza as they were getting dressed and getting ready to go into the ring. So right then I, you know, I'm shooting these girls. They're all very young, like 12 to 15 or something, 16. Their parents are there helping them get ready. And it's this, you know, very family-based event where they're all involved in taking care of the horses and making the uniforms and practicing. And they have a coach and it's very intense. They're, they take it very seriously. So that's when I decided that I was going to do more of a long-term project on the Mexican rodeo, showing the differences and the similarities between the rodeo that I cover most of the time and the rodeo that goes on, you know, maybe just a mile away from these rodeo arenas that I go to. They have Mexican rodeo arenas. And so I'm going to do that for the next, I don't know how long, but as much as I can. And I think it's really important because... You get to get out of the everyday grind of I need more action pictures and get into thinking about it and thinking about a long-term plan. I don't want to make the same pictures of these people, so I want to try to find as many different settings as I can to take pictures of them. Try to show them from all the angles that you can from, again, you know, maybe making their costumes to training their horses to what they do in their everyday lives to make enough money to take care of their horses to go to these events. So I think it's really important to do that kind of stuff. I think it can give your photography a little bit of depth, and I think it can inform your action photography because being around this stuff, you will start to learn the timing of it and start to learn where to be. So I think all of that stuff is really important. Yeah, like Ryu was saying, you don't have to travel all the way across the world to be able to do it. I'm not going to. I don't have that kind of time ever to be able to do that. But there's plenty of stuff that's going on around me. And so I'm going to take advantage of that. And I definitely encourage everybody else to do that as well. As far as my summer, uh, pretty insane. I shot way more than I have in the past. So I'm pretty beat from all of that. I am really happy with the work that I'm doing right now. So uh, there haven't really been any bad shoots because I've just really been able to explore all of the things that I've been thinking about doing for the beginning of the season. I don't know. It's been great. I've been able to go to a lot of places that have a lot of really great light and I've just been uh, taking advantage of that. One of the other things that I've been teaching is that your life isn't live streaming. I think people get caught up in this, like they don't want to make a bad picture. They don't want to take a risk or something because it makes it'll make them look bad or something like that. But as a photographer, you get to choose how people see your work and what they see and when they see it. So one of the things I was teaching at my last workshop, it was late at night and the light was not great. And a couple of people had gear that wasn't quite up to it. And one of my students was, I don't know, I guess not exactly feeling it. And so I, you know, I, I gathered them around and I said, okay, here's the thing. Just go make one picture. It doesn't have to be sports. It doesn't have to be anything else, but don't shoot the rodeo how you would ordinarily shoot a rodeo because it's the end of the rodeo now. It's dark. You don't need another action picture. What you need is to think about how to get a good picture. You know, I just walked around with them. We went out into the crowd. We shot overalls of the arena. We shot the fans. And I think that, again, it's it's thinking about what you need to do instead of just being on autopilot and, and shooting the action. But you don't need to be making a great picture every minute of every day, right? You can go to a rodeo and come away with three or four good pictures and just show those. 
You know, you don't need to show 50 bad pictures to show three good pictures. And people don't need to know how hard you had to work to get one good picture. Stop thinking that you need to make a good picture every 10 minutes or something and think about, I want to have three good pictures by the end of this rodeo or 15 good pictures by the end of this month and then go about making those. And don't think that you have to keep up with some kind of quota or that somebody is sitting there judging every picture you're taking and saying, oh, that's a winner and that's a throwaway or something, because that's not how it is. Just make good pictures and don't worry about how much time it's taking because once you start making those pictures, that is when you will start getting better because you'll be in that feedback loop of, oh, this is good and I wanna make more of these and you'll be able to recognize the bad pictures faster and make better pictures faster. So that's my little sermon for that. Um, like I said, I didn't really have any bad shoots, um, just bad days on the road and <laughs> too many days in hotels. It is basically like if you can come out of that day or the month with like one really, really, really good stuff, like you can throw the other 10,000 photos away. Like that to me is worth it. It's just like, like Matt said, like you don't want to get into a point that you're just basically like shooting the same shit over and over and over, like not really thinking about what you're shooting rather than like you have to concentrate on like what is available and what looks beautiful. That would actually make you a better sports photographer, I think. But we'll see how it goes. That's about it with news. And uh, we will be right back with uh, Masterclass. Wait, no, Assignment Desk. Well, yeah, assignment desk. I haven't done this in a while. Assignment desk. Okay. We give you an assignment and you show us if you've been listening. Don't doze off and show us that you've been an attentive student or a bad one. So what we have here today is liquid. We ask you to shoot something that is liquidy. Um, that involves something from water to beer to blood to sweat to pee. Anything that is liquid would do. And you sent us your wonderful pictures of not pee, but just in liquid in general. I had a look. It's not prominent. And that's one thing I could probably say. It all kind of suck. What do you think, Macon? I think that if we need to be clear when we're giving these, some of these are too literal and some of them aren't literal enough. <laughs> The, I don't care about water coming out of a hose. You know, I don't care about somebody wearing a yellow t-shirt in the background. It's not a sports picture. Back of a car going through water? No. This rugby one? I, I, I'm not even 100% sure that this dude is sweating. Not great. Our new friend, Pickstaff Watermark. These are good. I don't have any problem with either one of these, right? Oh, sorry. I didn't see yeah. that one. I mean, like, I think both of them, really. I, I, I completely missed the two. Yeah, so it's a guy showering himself with water. It's exactly what we wanted, you know, like the water has to be prominent and it has to, you know, tell a good story or just be beautiful visually. He's done that. And I think the same could be said for the uh, other one as well, which is water polo guy. And he got the water coming off. Yeah, I like this one less, I think. And not necessarily because... It doesn't have the ball in it, but just because it seems like a picture that is designed to say, I know how to spot meter or something. It's, there's just not enough going on. It's like, it's a cool, uh, it's a cool execution of the concept of just shoot where the sun is, uh, which I'm a big fan of, but I don't know. You need something more. You either need a better angle on this or 
you need a ball or you need somebody defending him. You just need something more than this to to make it work. But you know, it's it's not bad. I mean, obviously you can do this. You just need to be a little bit more subjective about how you're composing and what you consider to be a picture and what you don't consider to be a picture. I think the the guy drenching drenching himself with the water bottle was good. I don't think the water polo one is very good. And then uh, the one of the horse again, I I can barely barely tell that the horse is sweating, right? I know that you as a horse person know that this is what it looks like when a horse sweats, right? It doesn't look like a human when it's sweating because the the hair is absorbing it, but it still has to look more like liquid than this. This just looks like shiny hair if you didn't know, right? If you didn't know what horses sweating look like, it would look like shiny horse hair. And then on top of it, there's nothing going on here that's has anything to do with sports. So what you would want to do is have more of a background that showed maybe it was a barrel racing arena or maybe there were ropers back there or maybe there were ropes hanging on the fence or some kind of context to show that it was sports and not uh, just a horse standing. It's like it has to be obvious, you know, like and the thing is like it's we have to always, you know, when we actually give these assignments, like a, it has to be obvious that you understand like what the actual assignment is and it's water so if matt or i have got no idea what you were supposed to be shooting and we look at the horse one and we look at the rugby one how are we supposed to at that point say oh yeah this is uh it's a lot of like a liquid uh, this has a main main like feature of this entire photo and that's not the case yeah I, i think a simpler way to put that is if you look at these other pictures right and you say, okay, we'll give you three guesses as to what the what the theme was, right? You would definitely get it on the guy drenching himself. You would probably get it on the car. You, you'd probably get it on the hose too, even though that would be dumb. You wouldn't get it from the rugby and you wouldn't get it from the horse. Like in the top no, 30 sure guesses, not. you would not, if you gave somebody 30 guesses looking at the picture of the horse and saying, uh, what was the what was the theme here? You would never get liquid. It would never happen. So that's kind of when you know you're off track. So think about that the next time. I, you know, I don't want to discourage you from doing this. It was just uh, you're not used to maybe the way that we do things or whatever. But this should be pretty clear for the next time. Make it obvious. It, it doesn't. Need, you don't need to blow everybody over, and it doesn't need to like have flashing arrows around it to to make it that obvious. But just think about it this way. If you showed this picture to someone and you said, they gave me an assignment and what was the theme, you'd want them to get it in the first three guesses. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a simple enough assignment that I think people who have been doing this for a long time should know. And it has to be a sports picture and it has to be beautiful. It's very simple. Like the criteria are just really out there for you. You need to be really thinking a lot more than this like because it's quite a pitiful you know, performance by everyone involved except for the guy, uh, by Cosman. Really, like the water bottle thing is the only one that actually you know checks all the uh, the criteria. That is what's well, really it huh, for assignment desk. And we're just gonna go smoothly into masterclass. And for the for the next episode of this podcast, we would like for you to shoot what Matt Cohen. This is one that we haven't done in quite a while, and it's kind of, I think it's always been kind of a disaster when we've done it before, but I want to try it again, and it's parts, right? So instead of trying to fit everything in, 
this is really detailed stuff. And so the good part about this is it does not matter one bit what you're shooting because whether you have a long lens and you're shooting at something that's relatively close or whether you're shooting with a wide angle and you can get very close, uh, you can do this no matter what you're shooting. It doesn't matter. So I want to see some people trying this. I, I would say let's even open this up to a couple per, right? Um, yeah, two, let, two. let's, let's say two, you know, um, yeah. I want to see people trying this because it's something that everybody can do no matter what you're shooting. I, I get it. Like there have been times where I've been shooting this summer that I probably couldn't have done liquid, you know, cause there hasn't been a drop of water anywhere around or, you know, or I would have had to have gone, you know, to a gardener or something like that, but, um, parts anybody can do. And so what we're talking about is I want to see detail I want to see like, you know, cuts and scars and the grain of leather and uh, ripped jerseys and things like that. I, I don't want to see you take a full size picture and crop it down to something because we'll be able to tell. I promise you. I, love I want you to do that. Yeah. I want you to purposefully shoot long, you know, when you would ordinarily be shooting wider and I'll give you a good example of this. Um, I had one of my students in my most recent workshop who's pretty advanced, definitely the most advanced of my students. And I kind of challenged him to not shoot the rodeo in any way like he would shoot a normal rodeo, right? Because it was an amateur rodeo and he wasn't being paid to be there. And he was trying to work on his behind the scenes and non-action kind of stuff. So I just challenged him. I said, I, I don't want to see normal pictures. I don't want to see regular bucking pictures. I don't want to see horses going around barrels. I just don't want to see any of that. And so what he decided to do was shoot his 400 for barrel racing and be really close and just try to get like the, the difference between the rider's face and the horse's face or the muscles of the horse going around the barrel or something like that. And I think that's a really good solution to that problem. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you can apply that to, to whatever you're shooting. A couple things to keep in mind is when you're shooting with a long lens at minimum kind of focal distances, your depth of field is going to be very shallow. And that's one of the things that my student ran into was that if you're shooting at 400, the horse's head is maybe three feet in in front of the rider's head. So if you're at 2.8, you're not going to get there. So you might you might have to change your strategy a little bit and get them uh, when they're going you know uh, from one side to the other instead of coming head on. So again, you're taking the distance that would be three feet or two feet or something between the horse's head and the rider and just making them the same by shooting them as they're going by you. And that's the same for everything. You want to kind of limit the the depth between the front of what you're shooting and the back because the depth of field is going to be very, very narrow. So keep that in mind when you're shooting. But again, I want to see detail. I want to see curves, you know, make it look like it's 3D, make me look like I can reach out and touch it. That's the point of this, right? To not, not to like cut things off in weird ways or something like that, but to, to get in there and show... This is the detail. This is what you might miss if you're just looking at full frames or if you're just watching it on TV and you might not see, um, you know, how how this guy's muscle is flexing out his shirt or something like that. Or um, if there's an impact, how that a helmet going into somebody's body or something like that. Like, I want to see that, not the whole body or whatever, just where the helmet is going into the shirt or something. So 
think about that when you're doing this. Like the, the goal of this is to make me feel like I'm sitting right in front of what's actually happening. It's quite easy. All right. So just make sure that whatever you're going to be shooting, A, that you're basically just going to be using the entire frame to shoot a part of a body or part of an equipment or part of something. And the most important thing still is the photo has to be beautiful. Okay. So if you just like send me like, you know, like list of like anatomical stuff and say here, here's a leg and here's a muscle. Like, like we need you to actually give us something that is going to be, yeah, that is going to really wow us and say, whoa, that is, that is impressive. It's a beautiful picture of part of a body or part of equipment or part of whatever. That is the end of uh, Masterclass. Good luck. Hopefully it's going to be uh, more successful than this disaster that was a liquid one. But liquid one probably will come back next year. So if you want to kind of start thinking about the liquid thing for next year, you can, you're more than welcome to do that. Yeah, good luck with the part. And I will see, yeah, we'll see you guys in a bit. So this is Sports Aptitude Test, SAT, the short form is SAT. What we do is that we ask you a question and you are supposed to basically write back to us. So last month, I asked you this question. It's a great day, the sun is shining, and kickoff time is 2 p.m. Oh no, the weather forecast says it will pour like hell starting in the second half please tell us what you would like to shoot in this match knowing that the weather forecast is about 90 percent accurate let's say it's between barcelona barcelona and juventus blah 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 so i'm going i'm going to actually start reading off names as well because i think you should kind of own up to your answers because i think anonymity probably doesn't really help anyone so and you have to answer very very seriously so here is one here's the answer from anatoly uh, the game at Barcelona's home stadium is the 90,000 Camp Nou Stadium, which is true. And against Juventus, it will definitely be uh, completely full. In addition to the players and game action, I would shoot fans who get wet in the rain. Also, the view from the very last tier, 5th or 6th, should be impressive in the rain and the spotlight. Kind regards, Anatoly. Okay? Yeah, I think that last bit is yeah. good. I think shooting anything through lights is cool. You know, whether it's... I don't know, fog or dust or rain or mist, anything like that um, looks kind of cool. And if you can get over top of it, then, you know, it'll look different than if you were shooting from the bottom, because then all of the light is all, all of the rain is lit up by the light. But if you shoot from above it, then the rain that's above the lights isn't going to get very much light. And so it'll kind of have a cool halo look to it. Um, I think that's good. That wouldn't be the only thing that I would do in the rain, um, but I think that's that is that's a good a good start to it. There's only like three answers to this one for some reason, so I'll, I'll read the other two off as well. Okay, so knowing it's going to rain from halftime, I'll get myself to the stadium early and just check if one of the one end of the stadium is under cover, and if so, grab a good spot. Assuming I'm looking to cover the match generally and not looking for specific players, I'll shoot the home team players arriving then the <coughs> away team and try to get some creative stuff off players on the bench who may not feature till the second half. Having picked my end, I will shoot the first half that 
I will shoot the first half from that end, covering the defense of the team playing away from me as well as the attack of the team playing towards me. So getting coverage of both teams first half. At halftime, apply water cover covers to both cameras and get out of the laptop tent if I'm biting. If I'm wiring shots, they use the rain to my advantage, looking for shots that exaggerate the rain, wet balls being headed or punched and players sliding around. Try focusing on the rain with players out of focus. Generally try uh, a load of stuff to make interesting looking shots. Remembering to get some great shots for Ryu's Liquid Masterclass. Cheers, Simon. Yeah, I couldn't really like give a shit like what you're going to do in the first half. Like that's really like, that's the least the amount of information that I actually wanted. So I what I really wanted to really hear you say and talk about is like what will you do with the rain? And Simon did end up, you know, telling us about how he would actually, you know, think about what to shoot during the rain. And that's exactly what you should be thinking in a situation like this where you are given a really, you know, quite wonderful uh gift from the gods saying here's water here's a lot of water you you probably don't see much during a any sort of like you know uh, athletic event and i want you to basically use you know this to the maximum effect kind of like when you get really good sunshine towards the end of the day and like it's really you know you get nice backlit thing like you have to take you know advantage of it so that's simon and the last one says you and matt Put on the rain covers and pray for the rain to hit early. Rain picks are awesome. Try to shoot from the east side to accentuate backlighting of the rain droplets. I want to see Ronaldo's hair drenched. I want sideline pics of players holding towels. I want ominous skies, miserable wet fans, and I even want two guys in a ball, as long as it isn't a muddy goal mouth at close range with water spraying off heads and the ball. And that is from Mike Lum. Like you have to like kind of like you know be in the moment and not panic, and you have to like put your like you know thinking hat on and say, what am I going to do with all this water? Like, what's the most effective way to actually show it? What's the best angle? What's the best um, I don't know situation you're going to be looking for? You know, would it be headers? Would it be something like people sliding? Always is a very very good thing when it's raining, and just like yeah, like wet miserable fans also a very very good idea. So. The whole point of this, you know, exercise for uh, for I don't know from now on is for you to be really thinking about it. And once you actually get into the situation where you need to be thinking quite clearly and you know, kind of anticipating what you're going to be shooting, if you actually like have gone through these like little you know practices here at BLFS, you'll be able to actually do it hopefully more effectively. As for next month, Matt Cohen, you're going to do it. Yes, you're going to do it. So you need to do this one it's now. It's true. It's true that I'm not 100% on board with this one, right. but I'll try to, yeah. I'll try to so think of something. So you need to think of something, and I will give you yeah, some time to think about it. So it'll probably be not football anymore, uh, and I'll think of like something else, some other sport and some other situation so that you can actually, you know, yeah, think about other sports on the SAT. So that is it. Thanks for participating. When Matt's thing is going to be up, uh, there will be an email address for you to write your answers to. It is saveme at biglensfastshutter.com. And for those of you who've been listening for the first time, and if you haven't pledged, or if you've been listening for a long time, and if you haven't pledged, 
please go to patreon.com/blfs and that is p a t r e o n.com/blfs. Um, ten dollars a month, you know, it's a couple, you know, Starbucks coffee, and then you get to basically support us in this wonderful venture that we call. Yeah, just a just a real small thing about the the Patreon is that、uh, we you know we skipped a month or something in there and. The the more you guys, the more of you guys that participate, the more attractive it is for us to drop everything when we have time to record an episode. We both have pretty full schedules and you know real life kind of stuff, so、uh, make it make it more worthwhile for us to do this.、Um, it would be great. I, it doesn't have to be a lot, you know. It doesn't even have to be ten dollars if you don't want. If you have five. Or something that's fine, but make it a little bit more worthwhile for us to do this.、Um, I know we have some very loyal Patreon people who we should probably shout out all at the same time,、uh, maybe next month. But it would be nice to see more of the people who are actually listening and getting some value out of this and becoming better photographers out of this to help us out a little bit. Welcome to Pledge. This is a section for all the、um, uh, Patreon paying people. You get to ask a question to us every month, and we will personally answer it. Well, like we'll just answer it, you know. Besides, like writing it on the Flickr thread, we're going to actually answer your question. So let's take it from the top. This is from Kevin Sosa. Looking for tips or tricks when shooting directly into the sunlight. Did we talk about this before? I don't know. Yeah, this question was inspired by Matt's photo on、uh, Instagram of the rider on the bull with the sun directly behind the rider's head. Did we talk about so, this? So no, I don't think we've done an episode since then, but we can talk about this. So I think we'll, I guess we'll link or embed or whatever the picture that Kevin's talking about.、Uh, it's a bull riding picture made at Reno this year. The one night of the Reno rodeo where the bulls are still going on while it's light outside. So I like to take advantage of that instead of all the other nights where I'm just using the the stadium lights. So I shoot from behind the shoots a lot and try to get the sunlight behind. There is just a really little bit of time, maybe three rides or four rides every year, right? So that's that is where the sun is while they're riding bulls. It's it happens for less than thirty seconds per year. Right, so that's what we're talking about. I want to take advantage of that. I want to be in the right place to get the kind of picture that I want to get in that light. And so I know that when they're riding bulls, it kicks up a lot of dust. Right, bulls are very heavy. They move around. They jump. They slide. They kick. Things like that. And so it kicks up a lot of the dirt. So if I have the sun in the background and all this huge dust cloud and golden light and The bull and the rider in the middle of it. I'm gonna have to work pretty hard to screw that up. There's a lot of different ways you can do it, but it really just comes down to: Are you getting? Is the only light the light that's coming from the sun? And so, is the thing that you're shooting going to be completely backlit, or is the sun going to go by that and bounce off of something else, and then also come back and light it from your side? So you never know really until you're there. What's going to happen? There are definitely places where I shoot where there's nothing for the sun to bounce off of. In this case, there is a little bit of surfaces to get the to light to come back. So I'm not trying to do it in a complete silhouette. I'm trying to use that bounce light a little bit. And then all I'm trying to do is make sure that 
I'm underexposed so that I'm not blowing out the sun. I want all of the detail that I can possibly get in that picture because, again, I'm trying to accentuate dust particles in the air. And if you overexpose that, you never get it back. It's just gone. So I always want to be on the underside of the exposure for something like that. Whereas if you are, you know, let's say you're trying to blow something out and you just want like a pure silhouette or something, then that's fine. You can let as much light in as you can. But other than that, it's it's just, it's a feel for it. It's, it's trying to line up the three things, you, the subject, and the sun. So you're just trying to put yourself in a situation where whatever is going to happen is going to take place right in between you and the sun. And I know that's easier said than done, but again, I'm shooting something and trying to make a picture that only happens 24 seconds out of a whole year. So we're already on the edge. So be, you know, be comfortable with that and, and just try to make it happen. So this is another question. Uh, I've submitted dark images before, but never been happy with them. And you guys have hated them too. I mean, this sort of thing. Uh, so we'll have the picture of uh, the picture in question on the uh, website. So please go to biglensfastshutter.com and you'll see it. Any hints on what I can do to produce better images in this style, please? This is kind of like related to the whole... That's fine. Is this Simon? Um, I think it's Simon, be. right? Yeah, it might be it's Simon. It's a rugby picture and... There's a black guy rugby picture holding the ball. And the thing is with like light and skin and everything else is that it has to be like hitting enough so that there is a contrast between where it's like where it's lit and where it isn't. That has to it has to be like really bright sun. So if it's like overcast, you can't do this. Like I've tried and it doesn't work. So there has to be no clouds whatsoever and it has to hit the person at the right angle. So where where you're sitting makes a massive, 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 massive difference. So you need to like see like for instance where the shadows are when you get on the pitch or where you well where on the field and you have to see okay and then just you know take a couple of shots of people basically like you know let's and usually it's gonna be people coming towards you. So just take a picture and see if it works. If it doesn't work, then obviously you can go to the other side or just like look at where the shadow is and you should be able to be able to tell which way you should be shooting. Because if you're not sat at the right place, um, and also basically it depends on the day as well, you know? Yeah, I mean, it depends on a lot of different things. A lot things, of things, right? really, yeah. You know, what, what color most of the people in the crowd are wearing. Like, if there had been more people wearing white shirts behind this guy, you might have lucked out a little bit. You know, it would have given you, like what Ryu was describing in the beginning, you need an edge. You need to be able to see where this guy ends and where the background begins. And the problem is that you can only see that on a little bit of his head. The yeah. forehead and, you know, like around his eye is about really the only place. Like the whole rest of his head just kind of melts into the background and you need that that definition. So you need a line of something that goes there. So again, you're looking for either lighter skin or a lighter background or the sun coming from a, a different angle so that it, it does give him that rim light around his face. That's what you're looking for. These kind of situations are the thing where... It matters a great deal what direction he's going in and what direction you're shooting from 
because just a tiny couple degrees one way or the other in his face could make the difference between having that separation with him in the background and not. So I think you also, you kind of need to think about this in terms of depth of field, right? So the reason that you want a shallow depth of field is so that you can clearly see the player and not clearly see the cars and the fence and all that stuff in the background. It's the same for this. It's the same principle anyway. You want to have that separation. So in, instead of focus separation, you're talking about light and color separation. And you just don't have that here. There's not enough anyway. And if he had been, again, wearing a different color shirt or if he had different color skin or if it was a different color background or something, you would have had a little bit more there. But you really have to, for this kind of picture to work, you really have to have the light exactly where you want it and the background to be exactly as dark as it needs to be. That's rare. And again, even if you find yourself in a stadium where you can do something like that, not every direction that they run will be, you'll be able to take advantage of that. So this is the kind of thing where you just have to really go by feel, do it a lot of times, shoot when he's running at you, maybe shoot a lot of frames and then see, is it better if he's coming a little bit more in this direction or a little bit more in this direction and then adjust maybe where you're sitting or how you're shooting to take advantage of the light. The, the bounce, the light bouncing off of his face and his jersey is what you're concerned about here. You've already figured out, okay, I have a dark background. Now you have to arrange the light so that it's making him illuminated enough to set him off from the background. It's not easy because it, it matters a lot, a lot of things. There's a lot of variables involved in making this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a matter of like practice makes perfect. There's quite a lot. So this is by Bob Dahlberg. Uh, Matt, in the last episode, you described suffering in the rain. Please describe how you creatively exploited rain, mud, for more creative shots. I see, I see from your Twitter feed, there were definitely photos we have not seen before. I especially like the Marlboro Man in the rain, by the way. Black and white. So, by the way. Okay. May 19th, ready. Let's do these one at a time. I don't like shooting in the rain because while I like the pictures, it, it really, I feel limited buy it because when I shoot, I like looking for the light and trying to take advantage of that. When you have rain, and especially when it was, uh, this was in Reading this year, it rained the whole time very, very hard. Like it just didn't stop and it was just flooded everywhere. So that means I'm using my covers the whole time because it, my gear would have been ruined if I hadn't. And that just, you know, it, it makes it more difficult to get my voice on the voice memo. It makes it more difficult to see if I'm getting the exposure that I want. It just makes everything harder. And it's also like a cognitive drain. So instead of making the pictures that I want, I'm also having to keep in mind what the conditions are and that sucks a little bit as far as the creativity the one good part about this is that Redding had just gotten brand new LED lights so it automatically went from one of the worst lit rodeos that I shoot to one of the best and that made a huge difference so I was able to really crank up the shutter speed which I think is important when you're shooting mud and water I like to see the real well-defined globs of mud I think it gives the picture like an added crispness that you don't get if you're just kind of barely eking out a thousandth of a second. So I was shooting at night in the rain at like, you know, 25 hundredths of a second. That makes a huge difference. And then the Marlboro and the man in the rain, I don't know, that's, we'll embed that also. That's just not a very good picture. It's just, you know, what a standard guy riding around in the rain in black and white is. So I, I wouldn't get too fixated on that. Okay. Um, I just like noticed something that you can see rain better in the dark when there, so it's a, dark background in the back and the light is hitting the rain so if you want to like see rain like like when you see the droplets very very well it's better to actually shoot 
well, if you can shoot in the evening and there's like good lights, you can basically like see the rains reflected by the light against the dark background because it'll be evening anyway. So I just kind of want to let you know those things. I don't know why I said that because I was just thinking about something else and I just realized that it's um, sometimes not really easy to see the rain depending on shutter speed and because you want to make it slow sometimes but then you can't see it anymore because it's like the light is the, the rain is not reflected it's not reflecting any sort of light and it just kind of becomes like nothing so just want to tell you that the second question is that when you're shooting a team sport how do you change shooting strategies as the game progresses uh, warm-ups close wide first quarter get your safe action shot second third quarter explore q4 put away to 400 shot with wide angle for close and celebration shots well i don't really have a specific strategy for each match like i kind of go with feel of how i say it the thing is like you cannot basically predict what's going to happen in a match of any sort really of football or basketball or rodeo or whatever it is like they really you cannot predict it 100% so therefore if you kind of prepare yourself quarter by quarter or half by half what you want to do you have to be a bit more like this is what like SAT is really for is that I want you to be a bit more aware of the situation rather than like pre like being like basically ready before the match what you're planning to do be very attentive be very like aware of what's happening during the game the scores matter a lot because like if certain things happen like if the guy scores the eighth goal of the match and the, the other team is losing most it's eight it's it's eight nil he's probably not gonna celebrate so you might as well like find something else to shoot at that point not not like looking for the guy to hopefully celebrate his eighth goal rather than like maybe go to the other side and like look at dejected fans or something like that. What you want to actually use in that particular moment is entirely up to you. I mean like it's you cannot like I'm always like in, in, in the side of okay you know I'm gonna shoot some am I gonna shoot it long I'm gonna shoot it wide. At least like I'm, I give myself two options. And then when I see it, when I shoot it, just like if I just like, you know, practice shoot, just shoot it and see how it looks. And I can basically tell like, okay, okay, this actually works better in wide angle and not long or vice versa. So what I can really advise you to say is that don't pre-plan so much going into the match. Just be aware of what's happening and you have to act according to, accordingly uh, very fast. I, you know, I'm starting to notice something. Well, and I, people are looking for like some kind of formula or I know they, like a not. like a schematic or something <laughs> like that, and it doesn't exist, man. It just doesn't exist. Like what you're looking for is not a thing. And I, I just I don't know. I maybe maybe this is like a good uh, you know good lesson for us to learn because I think if if we are noticing kind of the same thing, maybe we need to reorient how we're teaching, but when we say plan and be prepared or whatever, it's not like a script for a, for a play or something. Oh yes. Three minutes left in the third quarter, put away 400, put on 14 to 24. That's not what we mean. We mean by preparing, you know, like I want you thinking ahead of time. I want you, you know, maybe thinking about the possibilities of what could happen, but it's not to write a script. It's so that all of that stuff is, in an accessible place in your brain so that you can get to it and say, okay, here, this is what's happening and here's where I need to go with this lens. It's not a plan. You're not, you can't go through a sporting event 
this isn't a fashion shoot, right? You don't have a shot list of, you know, the different outfits that you need with in the different angles and, and orientations, right? This, this isn't that. What preparing means is looking f- for me, right? What, what preparing means for me, looking at pictures that I've made at that place before, whether it's a rodeo or a baseball arena, you know, whatever it is reading about how the teams are doing, figuring out what who are the key players and maybe um, what positions do they play so that what what side of the field do they spend most of their time on? These are these are the preparations that I mean. The more you know about what you're going to shoot, then you don't have to have a script because you'll be able to react faster to all this stuff and it will be more accurate because you will be making the decision based on way more information on the spot than you would have before because you just wouldn't have known what was going to happen. But when you get to decide right away and when you have all the information that you need, then all of this stuff becomes second nature. Do not think of this as scripting your way through a game. Think of this as learning as much as you can about this and then making good decisions based on the new information you get on the scene. I mean, it's interesting. Like, it's, it's, I think... Like I don't really think about it much that way, but like I can under, I can see that like people are trying to trying to kind of make sense out of this whole sports photography thing in a way that they understand. So for Bob, this is like a very step by step by step by step by step by step thing. I think for most sports photographers, it's more of like understanding what your specific like lenses would actually give you and then fitting that into the situation that you can anticipate or if it happens at that moment then you know like which one's gonna actually give you the best result i mean that's kind of it saying that like there's the final question like matt on your workshop youtube channel i observed that depths of field failures showed over and over in your critique for all photographers in your work uh, this link, both subjects are in clear focus, yet some distance apart, which with blurred background. So it'll be instructive to know in the shots you post, settings that you use, a la Dave Black's social media posts. Maybe you can share your rules and guidelines in the podcast. So I can understand like what Bob is trying to say. Giving you like specific like specific like data on each shot that we shoot isn't gonna help you is either <laughs> i you know and and believe me I'm, this isn't anything against bob at all and it's certainly nothing against dave black who's one of the very very few photographers who i actually wholeheartedly respect that's insane there's there's no good information to to be gotten out of all of that in, like what shutter speed and f-stop and insane ISO? he no. people do this people do this it's insane it. yeah never doing that and and here's why it's not important Right. What what we're doing here again, I you know, I understand, like, and this definitely fits with the the question before, right? This isn't a math problem. It's not gonna be solved like that. It's fine if you think in terms like that, but that's not how we're teaching. So you know, you're gonna have to I'm sorry, you're gonna have to reorient how you you know how you approach this to take in more of what we're saying if you want us to help you. That's just we cannot there's no like schematic diagram that we can make up that's going to help your your way through this you have to know your camera enough and know the rules of photography enough and know the rules of the sport and have enough experience with the speed and the distances and all of that to 
get in there and make your own decisions based on what's happening. You just, you never know. Like I go to places all the time thinking I'm going to get fantastic light and I'm, all, all I'm going to do is shoot sunsets with sports happening in the foreground. And all of a sudden I'm driving there and somewhere that gets 300 days of sun a year is completely clouded over, right? You just, it, and that's a, that's just one tiny little example. It happens over and over again. So having, and, and having the, the, there's so many things that go into what settings are there, but those things end up being the least, that's like the last thing, right? Seeing it, being prepared, all of that kind of stuff. The settings or whatever is at the very bottom of the funnel. So for this, I, I don't understand exactly what the problem is. If you understand the rules of photography and the rules of physics and the rules of depth of field and all of that, you'll know that they're not all that far apart, they're three horse widths apart. So maybe five feet in between them. It's not that far. And the reason they're both in focus and the background is out of focus because that background is like four miles away. So, you know, if you're, if you're focusing on the thing that's in front, even if you're at F2, um, when you're, I was probably 40 yards away from this. So I'm going to have, you know, maybe 10 feet worth of depth of field here, plenty to get these guys as they were. Right. And then still, uh, miles in between them and the background. So this is the kind of thing where I don't think that if you have been listening very carefully, that this shouldn't be that hard to figure out to the point where you would need settings. What were my settings? Pretty low ISO, 200 maybe, um, 25 hundredths of a second. You can see how the everything is totally frozen, including like the little pellets of dust that are coming up. And then to get a shallow depth of field like that where... The, you know, you can start to see where the ground, you know, in front of the hoofs and behind the back hooves or whatever are not in focus. So you're probably at F2, right? 200 F2, 2,500 of a second, 200 ISO. That, I don't know how much that helps you because if you didn't see this picture in the first place, you wouldn't have had any prayer of making it no matter what the settings were. So follow, just follow, follow where we're going, right? Listen to what we're saying and stop trying to fit it into boxes because there's only one box. There's just sports photography, right? There's a lot of different ways to do it, a lot of different ways to approach it. Just go with us on this one. Probably is one of the most interesting question we probably had on pledge cues. Like it really is because I've never really thought about it that way. And but it is really interesting that people actually do want to kind of like, yeah, like make this into like a system thing it really isn't like the more you do it i mean it's like going to photography forums and like reading about people like discussing cameras and they'll go into like the minute details of the sensor technology and blah 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 and, all and how many frames and, like, how many yeah. frames a second it gets <laughs> and uh you know so, what the what the what the image processing oh you know gosh. engine is or whatever and i guarantee you i haven't thought about any single one of those things ever <laughs> Ever. I don't like even know what's in my camera. I have no like, idea. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's like the data thing actually matters to a lot of people and like number crunching and all that kind of stuff that gives pleasure and all that kind of stuff. But I, I will tell you like, you know, that sports photography is not easy. It really isn't. I think it's probably one of the most difficult like live thing that you can probably do as a photographer. Like probably much more than like street photography, much more than like I don't know. Well, it's not as hard as like, it's not as hard as war. It's not as hard as war photography. So let's not okay. get carried away. <laughs> Except for like you know, you get a chance of basically dying. You could probably get hit by like a 
baseball and yeah. die, but that's probably it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Which yeah, I've come I've come inches yeah. from that. Well, you can actually. Um. So so here's you know here here's the here's the punchline to all of this. Like so, let's say Bob, you're not sold on all the stuff we're saying. Let's say you're right and we're wrong, and this can all be made into a system. What system are you going to create that is going to produce good results every time? That's going to be easy for you to repeat, right? But that's going to produce a variety of results. That's that's the problem. So there are predictable things. You could go to a barrel race and you could set up a remote and figure out how to have a motion detector and you know a fail-safe focus and an image pipeline that goes right to your computer and automatically tags everybody and uploads it and it's all in the cloud and you didn't have to do anything. Okay, what if somebody wants a different picture? Then your system is broken, right? That's that's the point of this. Even if you could systemize everything you wanted to do, it wouldn't be the best. The, the result could not possibly be the best for that given situation because it's impossible to predict everything, distances, light, games, times, all of that kind of stuff. It's just impossible to do that. So, you know, start at the beginning, learn how to use your camera, learn what the settings actually mean so that looking at this picture, it would be like you or I came across this picture and somebody else had made it or something like that. It's obviously fast shutter speed. It's obviously shallow depth of field. And it's obviously a huge amount of separation, right? Those things go through my head so fast I can't even parse them, right? You need to be there. You need to know enough about all of this so that your brain jumps right to there and you can reverse engineer this picture as quickly as thought, right? So focus on that stuff, focus on knowing more about what you're shooting and focus way less on creating a system around it. And I guarantee you, you'll get more comfortable about it, you'll get more creative about it and your pictures will 100% be better than they were before. So that is the end of Pledge Cues. Thanks for Bob. It was a very interesting question. Um, if you kind of want to ask questions and you know don't know how to do it um please go to patreon.com slash blfs and pledge us and that way you can then ask us questions every month and we will go in length well depending on the question is uh, to answer your questions so that's it Think we only say bad things about sports photography? You say we got no soul? Hell no. We're gonna prove you wrong with Man, what's wrong with these pictures? Cross counter. Um no, this is ridiculous. Like we're just looking at the pictures and like <laughs> like I honestly have like this is like a copy and paste from like every single year. It's the same shit. <laughs> it's time to fold your fellow sports photographers' hands as we tell you why a specific sports photograph makes us quiver with joy. Uh, that's ridiculous like that's not yeah, that's the best intro ever all right no this is like it's not good right like i've seen these pictures before somewhere like literally like a couple years ago right like this is bad like this is a it's by it's sponsored by canon as someone actually sent us this link um because we always have trouble uh, looking for uh, cross counter material, and I'm gonna have a look because it's really unfair. So Matt, you can start talking. I'm gonna find out who who sent this to us. Yeah. So the auto rack one is just atrocious. It's like shit. I, you know, like 
again, we talk about this. I, oh. I, I mean, I guess we used to a lot more than we do, but you know, since we kind of stopped looking at professional pictures all that much, but you know, a spectacular crash is a spectacular crash. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a great picture. And this is not a great picture. It's not, it's not visually pleasing. There's not a whole lot of separation. It's very difficult to really see exactly what's happening here. You know, the way it's oriented and the empty space in the top left corner and those cars cut off in the bottom, like that's not a great picture. And what we're talking about here is these are sports photojournalism awards, right? This isn't like, oh, yeah, that's a cool picture. Like, I could even get to there if you wanted to, if somebody showed this to me on their phone. Oh, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. But as far as like a great picture, no. If we're talking about like horse silhouettes with a nice, I mean, this is like the absolute easiest possible thing to do. Like, it would take me five minutes to take my wife somewhere with my camera and let her get on the horse like, like there's no 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 she could take the picture right there, oh, there's I nothing see. there's nothing special about this at all you know like do you know how to make a silhouette yes no do you know how to uh look for a pretty sky yes no that's what you have here there's no skill involved in that picture i can't even imagine a more boring winter olympics picture than this you know like i don't care that somebody else uh airbrushed a skeleton on the top of this guy's head that's not it's not enough you know, I don't know. The cycling picture is fine, but certainly not worthy of an award. I think, you know, I don't know. Is the best picture here the one of them running into the ocean? Yeah. You know, that's fine. But the thing is, like, I've seen this before, you know? Like, I've seen kind of, like, almost exactly the same same and picture, this one, this, so. this pole vaulting picture is like, okay, so somebody was able to get up in the rafters. But yeah. it, how how atrocious is this frame? You know, like the the lighting and the focus and the shadow on her face from her arm or the, yeah, from her arm. It's just, it's terrible. The only thing interesting in this picture is the angle that it's taken from. And it's not even, you know, it's not even straight. It's not even perpendicular with the, with the run up. So, you know, this is a train wreck. So, you know, if we're talking about awards, like this, this is, this is really bad. Like we're not like really out there like shit on pictures all the time like cross country was actually made to like you know find pictures that we like and we want to talk about it and we want to basically it's getting harder it's it's really i mean we have like this conversation like every olympics probably that's like the 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 pinnacle of like shit picture palooza is every olympic we just get shit pictures up the wazoo like it's impossible to even try to find a good one because the problem is the how the current system is set up for sports photographers and major events is that they have to send pictures as soon as possible and the people receiving them have to post have to post them as soon as possible and those are the pictures that people look at it and those are the pictures that will end up on si's like best olympic pictures 2020 and we get to pick cross-country pictures from there and it's slim pickings thanks this is by the way simon west who actually sent us the the link thank you very much simon um it's a this horrible picture it's not so interesting but please send us another one <laughs> sorry it's like shit on your suggestions and everything but but it's good to actually like you know it's a talking point that this is the level that we're talking about here and it's really not that interesting this is uh yeah it's, it happens sometimes with cross counter that we don't really get anything so I don't want to like really force either Matt or I to kind of forcefully swimming one. But like I said, I've kind of seen that before. Like, I think it's always shot like this. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's always like this. I've not seen anything else like different from these events. It always looks like this, you know, 
uh, sun in the background, a bit silhouette and like water splashing everywhere. Like, hey, that's great. Originality is king. It really, really is. So please don't get too caught up on like the best of or the award-winning pictures. Like these are not, I don't know, like, I don't know. They're supposed to be the best, but they're usually never, never the best. And it feels like it's, it does get worse every single year. Do you want to have anything to add? That's it, no? No. That's it. Uh, yeah, just send us, you know, if you actually do see good pictures, I, I would so much rather look at good pictures and talk about good pictures. I really would. So yeah. if you see them, please send them to us. And that's it. Thanks for listening. And with that, we end the 79th episode of Big Lens Fast Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners, and obviously Rob with two Bs, our wonderful producer, Extraordinaire. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, please go to our Facebook page and like us. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFlashShutter.com so that you won't miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes. Apparently that's still a big thing now, so I need to kind of emphasize that. If you haven't actually done it, done it then please rate us. Five stars will be very, very good. And obviously, if you have that dollar in your pocket, please donate it to us at patreon.com slash blfs to recap patreon.com facebook and website let me know something oh itunes so rinse repeat love us more see you next month so And yeah, we and yeah, we and yeah, we since it is near and yeah, it and uh, yeah, um, denied, um, uh, yeah, um, and if and uh, Rob said I'm supposed to tell you to keep your head still and facing the microphone. <laughs> <laughs>